You know, it's great to have fun in your relationship with your spouse and your wife, but the truth is, how many know it's not always fun in games? That a lot of times you can, you know, I say a lot of times, but there are times in your life where you can go from having the time of your life, it's like, wow, everything's amazing, and in a split second be fighting like cats and dogs. Come on, married people, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a trigger happened. It's like you went from one to ten on one word. It's like you said what? And it just, like the devil comes out, and, and the truth is, you know, it happens to every one of us. And the longer you're in a relationship, the more those triggers can build up. And so our goal is to help create great marriages. We're, we're not looking for perfect marriages. i got to let you know, if, you, if you're looking for a perfect marriage, that's a myth. There is no perfect marriage. There's, the, the only kind of perfect marriage is when a man and a woman commit to work it out for the rest of their life. That's what makes a marriage perfect is that I commit to not leave you no matter how much of a fool you act or how stubborn and prideful I am. We're committed to the rest of our life. And, and it's so important. You think, well, well, of course. But, you know, and it's not only important to us. Was, I was just thinking my little six-year-old daughter, Raylan, asked me and Phyllis this last year. She said, Mom, Dad, you're never going to leave each other, are you? Like, are you in the, like, like my six-year-old said, are you in this for life? That's basically what she's asking. And so, you know, in, in, in those moments, it's like, absolutely, baby, we are committed to life for the rest of our lives. She's stuck with me and I'm stuck with her. And so look, when you have that mentality, you know what happens? You realize I better work this out or we're going to both be miserable. And, and, and the truth is, I don't want to live miserable. I want, I want to work hard. See, you're going to pay a price either on the front end or the back end. Like, there is a price to pay in your relationship. You're going to pay the price of working hard on the front end and have a great relationship, or you're going to pay the price on the back end when it's not great and you just kind of make it through. And, and I don't want to just exist. I don't want to have a story that says, well, we made it. Praise God. We can kept our covenant. No, that's not, I don't want that. I want to have a marriage and my kids say, I want my marriage to be just like my mom and dad's. Wasn't perfect, but they were healthy. They knew what it was like to have a healthy, life-giving relationship. And the truth is, if we want that, we've always got to go back to what God says. I love what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior, the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, everybody say that word together, the way you think. So the problem with most of our relationships is our thinking and it says, then you're going to learn to know God's will for you, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. And so I don't want to copy the patterns. I don't, I don't want to model my life after movies. I don't want to model it after sitcoms. The worst place to get relationship advice is in movies and sitcoms. I want to model it in what the Word of God says. God, I want to get, get your word on, on what it takes for me to have a healthy, life-giving relationship. Today we're going to talk about that. Talk about conflict resolution. That I'm going to work on this relationship and I'm going to have healthy conflict resolution. You cannot avoid conflict your entire marriage. Some people are like, man, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm a, I do anything to avoid conflict. Well, that's not healthy. I mean, if you're just avoiding it, then you're never really dealing with the issues that are actually existing in your relationship right now. Just because you avoid it doesn't mean the issue's not there. I mean, that issue is still there, so what we have to do is we got to learn how do I address it in a healthy way? How do we resolve this conflict in a healthy way? And one of the first things you've got to know is that your spouse is not your enemy. 
Look at what it says in Ephesians. It says, we do not battle or wrestle against flesh and blood. So look, your spouse is not who you're fighting against. I'm not fighting against the person that I'm in this relationship. If you're single, it's not your parents. It's not your friend. It's not, it's not your sibling. We're not fighting against each other. Look at what the word clearly says, but we're fighting against powers and principalities of this dark world. So what's that mean? Look, we're fighting against the devil and all of his demonic angels. I said, well, I don't believe in it. Well, that's okay. You cannot believe in gravity and walk off a building and you're still going to operate in the law of gravity. So what we got to do is get our head out from the sand and say, look, there are demonic forces. And the truth is they don't like you. They don't like the fact that you're a Christian. And the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and to destroy your life. But I love what it says after that. But God has come. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And that's what we're looking for. God, I want to live in the abundance of your life. And we know, look, my spouse is not my enemy. We're on the same team. We're in this together. So this is what you know. We win together and we lose together. But we're not the enemy. And uh, I've learned this. I'm not really fighting or arguing or having passionate conversation with my spouse to get victory. I'm really having this conversation because I want resolution. So some of you, you're fighting like, I'm going to win. Well, that's the wrong attitude. It's not about if you're going in it to win it, then, then you're going to lose ultimately because you can win the conversation but lose the relationship. And so the, the goal is, look, I'm going into this so that I can resolve whatever conflict is happening in our marriage and in our relationship. And, and again, you've got to address the small things because if you don't address the small things, how many know they'll become big things? I find it very interesting now having been a pastor for, for several years and especially the lead pastor, people don't usually get divorces over big things. It's all these little things that were never addressed in a healthy way that have created such conflict that now they can't even see straight. And then when you ask them, well, why are you so angry? I don't even know I'm angry. It just, you know, it started with, and, and you go back and the root of it is something so simple that could have been worked out if they had healthy conflict resolution. And so I think as we learn this, we've got to know some of the root causes of conflict. The first thing is this, it's unmet expectations. One of the things that causes conflict in relationships is really that I expect you to do something that doesn't get done in this relationship. And if you've been married for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You go through this honeymoon phase and, you know, the woman, the wife, she thinks, well, my dad was a handyman. And so nobody ever had to ask him to fix anything. He just walked around, had a tool belt, and he just, he went to town, and he painted and fixed, and he could build anything and fix anything. And you married this guy who is anything but your dad. In fact, the best way he knows how to repair something is to pick up the phone and call a handyman. Come on, somebody. That's, that's me. Like, like, I just, I'm not a handyman. But the challenge is she's going into the expectation you're going to be just like my dad. Well, maybe your dad, and talking about the wife, her dad took out the trash. It was just a non-negotiable. The wife said, look, my dad took out the trash. He took it out for my mom and loved us. And now your husband's like, I just, can you just take out the trash? And you're like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> like, that is a man's job, right? Come on. The, the, I, trash. You know? Maybe you walked into the relationship and your dad paid all the bills. Like he, he did all the allowances, paid all the bills. And so you married this man that you love so much, 
But now when it comes to taking care of the bills, he could care less. He's like, honey, you can do them. Just go ahead and pay the bills, you know, just. And you're like, what? Like, you don't even care. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that's not. He might have come from a relationship where the mom paid all the bills. Right? And, and so the man's the same thing. He's like, man, my mom cooked all the time. And, and you married this woman, and she can't cook. <laughs> not anything that's edible. And, and so you're like, but I thought all women cooked. No, not all women cooked. Your mama cooked. And, and then you walk into the relationship, man, and you're like, well, my mom washed my clothes and my mom folded. I mean, I grew up my whole life. My mom washed my clothes and folded them. I mean, I was spoiled rotten. And then I got married and feels like, what the heck are you doing? She's like, you wore them dirty underwear. You need to wash them. I'm like, but baby, come on, somebody. I just, you just... You got these unmet expectations, you know what I mean? I mean, I grew up, mom helped us with homework, and, and she was the one at home and helped us all the stuff, but, but, but the expectation, the wife's like, baby, I want you to help them with homework. Come on, man, you're like, I'm not that smart. I don't want to mess my kids up, all this. Have y'all seen that new edition and all the, they want you to show your work. I'm like, how do you even show, I, I don't know. I just know, two plus two is four. Do I need to put two dots? I don't know. <laughs> And I send them to school, and the teacher says, it's absolutely wrong. Well, I tried. I tried. Give me the F, not my kid. Like, <laughs> I'm preaching now. <laughs> I mean, look, with the unmet expectations, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of this. I don't care who takes out the trash. I don't care if she's a handyman. It doesn't matter. The, the thing that matters is that you both are on the same page and you both agree to live out the expectations that you have for each other. But how many times is it never even talked about? And the truth is you've never even really thought about why it bothers you that your spouse doesn't do what you want them to do. And a lot of times it just has to do with the past that we were raised in and the home we were raised in and bringing that into this relationship and having expectations. And when we have unmet expectations, tension builds. We're frustrated. We begin to blow up and, and, and really have these passionate conversations. And the truth is, the root of that conflict is unmet expectations. The second thing is poor communication. Poor communication uh, is where we fail to communicate effectively to each other. And in a marriage, I mean, if you've been married, guys, you know this happens all the time. It's not even a marriage. You talk about just mom and dad and friends. I mean, it is so easy for communication to fade. Like lots of assumptions, and, and you got to know that when communication fades, the relationship will always fail as well, because good communication is the foundation of every great relationships. And, and, and you know this, that spouses, when they can't communicate with each other effectively, there is no relationship, and when there is no relationship, they're done with each other. It just, it's a fact of life, but it happens, and it's so easy for us to experience this. I know Phyllis and I, we live a fast-paced life. Her and I are coming here and going there, and lots of things are happening. We'll be talking on the phone. And how many have ever had something like this happen? We're talking, and, and she's like, hey, baby. I said, hey, sweetie, what's up? She's like, we need to go pick Caden up at 2 p.m. He's got to get out of school a little bit early. And, and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, you know, when Phyllis says we need to go pick Caden up, man, you know exactly what she's saying. Baby, you, so I just say, I, come on, ladies, you're shaking your head, you know, like, because y'all don't say, honey, will you go do you kind of throw the we, like, we, we a team, baby, we go get it, <laughs> 
And so I get into the conversation, and I'm thinking, all right, cool, I'll go pick Caden up. I got a lot of things, but I'll go pick him up. And she's thinking, I'm going to pick him up. Like, she was like, I was just trying to have a conversation, just flippantly, just casually said we, and really she meant she was going to be, and we both show up at the school at 2 o'clock, <laughs> having rearranged our schedule to pick up our son. Now, now, how many know there is some frustration and tension? Son, get in my truck. I don't care that that woman is here. You get in my truck. I left work. And you better man up getting your daddy's truck right now. Right now. Right now, son. Don't even look at your mama. Because I ain't looking at her either. <laughs> Come on. Tell me. A, or, or what's even worse is neither one of you heard it and nobody picks him up. <laughs> She's like, well, I told you to go. But no, baby, you said we. I, I didn't hear anything. I didn't say you. I didn't do it. And your son is sitting there blowing your phone up. Nobody picked him up. Wow, it's poor communication. Lots of assumptions. And it happens all the time, but it deteriorates our relationship. Third thing is just self-centeredness. Like we're so focused on ourselves that it's all about what I want and what I need that I really don't consider my spouse's needs. And look, if your relationship is not doing well, here's the problem. You get into survival mode. And survival mode's the worst. Why? Because you are living in a deficit, and I surely am not giving you what you need because you're not helping me any of my needs. And we clearly know that's not what the Bible teaches, that we're to meet the needs of our spouse, and that as we do that, there's a, there's a reciprocation. I'm going to sow seed, and I'm going to reap a harvest. And so we have to make sure that we refuse and reject being self-centered in our relationship. And the problem is, at the core of our being, we are, we are sinners, that's the truth of it. It's, it's, you can be as nice and as good and as kind as you want, but we have a sin nature. And you can see this in your children. If you've got children, uh, you know at the very beginning stages of life, I don't even think my kids learned mom and dad first. You know what I think they learned? Mind. Like mom and dad was like second or third. The first word was mind, 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 mind. <laughs> Right? It's, it's my, why? Because it's, it's, my, it's, it's, it's about them. And, and so what you then have to do is you have to teach your kids to share, share. There's more than just you, and you got to share if you did sign language. Share. And, and then the goal is this. You want your children to, to have an encounter with Jesus. Like every one of my kids have come to know Jesus at a young age. And then you can go back to, hey, when you gave your life to Christ and he saved you, he gave you a new nature, and that nature is generous. You see, that's, that's how we overcome that sin nature is through the power of Christ. But we see it in marriages all the time. Look, a woman wants to spend time talking. She's had a horrible day. You know, something's happened. Uh, she's expecting her husband to come in like Prince Charming and that he's going to love her and wrap her in his arms and say, baby, let's stop all the madness. Let's go sit down on the couch. I just want me and you, heart connection. Tell me how your day was. Tell me. I'm all ears. Just, just, just listen. Just, oh, 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 it was... A, I'm not even going to try to fix it. I'm not going to try to fix it. I just, just tell me more. Mm. Really? <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble because I know what to do. Right? I know. I know. A man comes home. He's had a horrible day himself. And the last thing he wants to do, he just, he just comes in. And you know what he wants to do? Maybe he got some bad news at work. Maybe things aren't going right. He just messed up a huge... He wants to sit down and watch television. 
He wants to sit down and get on his computer. He wants to do anything but connect because, guys, we've got these boxes and we put all that. And I just, I want to go to my nothing box, like nothing. Don't talk. The only thing I want to do is breathe and just stare, right? And so the, the problem then happens is that she has this deep need of, I just, I just want you to care. I want, you, I want to feel loved by you. And now she is extremely hurt because to her, he doesn't care. And really at the core of it is just selfishness. I mean, the truth is he's just, if we're honest men, we're just being selfish. We ought to go in and serve and love our wives. And, and women, it's the same thing for you. Look, you've been in marriage for a little while. And uh, it, what happens, you know, it gets to be the nighttime routine. And, and he's been thinking about you all day long. And kids are in bed and the door is shut. But the key is you saw him lock the door. Now, when you lock that door, ladies, you know what's about to happen. Like, he's going to put on the moves, and I mean, it's going to, like, we, we, we're going to have a good night at the Kyle's house tonight. There may be a baby brother or sister coming out soon. I'm just saying it's a good night. And, and what happens is you saw all that, you know it, and he's making the moves, and you say, oh, baby, I got a headache. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. See, men can't fight against a headache. Oh, you got, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Here's some Tylenol. No, <laughs> But the problem is you had a headache two nights ago and last night and four nights ago and, and there's this pattern. And so here's the challenge. A man feels loved when he's intimate with his wife. And so now he's carrying around this deep, deep rejection from the one person who should love him unconditionally. And really when we get to the core of it, listen, it's really selfishness. I mean, both parties are just being selfish. We're doing something that is destroying the fabric of our relationship. And so we've got to recognize that these are the roots of conflict. So once we recognize that, how do we help make sure that we don't do these things? How do we resolve conflict? Maybe these things have happened and we recognize it. How do we resolve it? There's a couple of things that I want to focus on. The first thing is this, I will act and not react. So look, we got to be proactive in this relationship. I'm going to be proactive in what's taking place with my spouse. And rather than reacting in anger and frustration because what my spouse has done has really hurt or wounded me, I'm going to act. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to be reactionary. But I'm going to act with the proper response that will diffuse the situation and really help illuminate the heart of my spouse. Because, look, your spouse, at the core of their being, they love you. They really don't want to hurt you. There's just some wounds and there's selfishness. And, and, and we all need some grace. And Phyllis is really good with this in our marriage. Uh, a lot of times, if I'm frustrated, we start to have a passionate conversation. You know, I kind of zone in. And Phyllis will start to smile and she'll try to start flirting with me. And, and, and even recently, we got into a thing. She said, oh, Sid, you know this is just the enemy. She came over and started trying to tickle me. And uh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, just leave me. Just stop. Just not going to work this time. Stop. <laughs> and what will happen is then she'll tackle me or something. And then we just start laughing. Why? Because she could have got into this reactionary, well, you don't deserve to. If you only knew and I should have, you should have, we could have. And, and all these things that deteriorate the relationship. But she says, no, I'm allowed the, the love of God, the grace of God to consume my life. Because it's just a moment that the enemy wants to penetrate into our marriage and divide us. And I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to act in a way that diffuses the situation. And, and Paul really talks about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So what's he saying? He said, look, when someone does something wrong to you, you don't, you don't just go tit for tat. You don't say, well, you did it bad, something bad. I'm going to go and do something bad, bad. No, no, I'm going to do something good. I'm going to find it inside of my heart to act in the way that will diffuse this situation. And I have found sometimes the challenge in marriage is when you get frustrated, when you are wounded, you tend to get real defensive. And when you're defensive, I don't know why it is, but a lot of times we start to criticize it starts to blame, and, and criticism and blame are the worst things that you could ever do. I mean, imagine your boss, if all your boss ever did was blame things on you and criticize you for everything that you did wrong, how many know you're not going to like that boss for very long? You don't have to stay at that job, and after a while, you're just going to be like, he doesn't care, I don't care, I'm not staying here, I'm leaving. And, and I mean, you can look at a friend, have you ever had a friend that criticizes you all the time? They got a little critical with you. There was some kind of wound or something that happened. And now they're just, it's like, my God, do you ever have, is there anything good about me? How many know they're not going to be my friend for very long? And yet somehow we get into our marriage and we're almost like, you're stuck with me, right? Like we got this covenant, I'll go to a pastor. Like you better act right. And, you don't. and, and what we're not careful is you can throw that out like you never leave so I just go criticize if it doesn't work in a job if it doesn't work with friends if it doesn't work with family how in the world does criticism work in our marriage and so we have to fight the temptation to not be critical in our relationship so so what do we do you know the Bible never tells us to try to change your spouse there's nowhere in the Bible where it says hey grab your spouse and do everything you can to change them and to make them in my image it's your responsibility no, thank God it is not my responsibility to change Phyllis. I mean, you know, I'm not doing a good job of changing me, much less trying to help my spouse change. Now, look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25. Men, we are told to love our wives. That means they got to love her. I mean, I, I'm loving her, and it says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So what did Christ do? He gave his very life away for the church. Husbands, we're to love our wives. That means you're to be considerate of her. You're to be kind. You're to be emotionally engaged, to, to be selfless, to serve her, to help set her up to win, to hug on her non-sexually, which at times can be very difficult, but to hug her and to <laughs> love on her. and to sh that, that is your responsibility. Nowhere in there does it say you need to change your wife. It's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to love them. And ladies, look, you need to do what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, respect and obey your husbands in the same way. Now, I get it. We're living in, in 2018. Like, you're like, I ain't obeying nobody. Well, well the truth is, that's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a mentality that has seeped into the church from the world. That's not biblical. Anybody of authority always submits to authority. And so the way God instituted was that the man first would unconditionally love and serve his wife. And then out of this love relationship, she would humbly submit herself and obey her husband. But that means, men, you're the one that owns the responsibility of being the first person to unconditionally love her so that it makes her easy to do this respect and obey. And so, but look, women, you don't have the option to not do this just because you think your man is not loving and kind. Look, look I want to show you. Look, look at what it says. If you continue to read, when you love and respect and obey your husband in this same way, look at what it says. Your husbands 
who do not believe the word of God will want to know God. See, you, it's a lie of the enemy. The enemy would say, well, he's not even saved, so I don't have to do it. No, no. When you follow after that lie, you could be sabotaging your husband's salvation. And I'm not saying the salvation is all in your hands, but my point is God has called you to be the witness, you to be the one to win him to Christ. Look at what it says. They will want to know God because their wives live good lives, even though they say nothing about God. You didn't even have to use your words. It was the way you respected your husband. And, and here's a little bit of my concern. I don't think women, if you were to ask them to define respect in a relationship, I'm not sure women could really do that. And, and same thing with men. It's not just women. If you were to ask a man to define love and what it means to love your wife, I'm not sure they can do it. And if you can't define it, you definitely are not doing it. And so women, here's a couple of things. Number one, when your husband talks, why don't you look him in the eye and don't multitask him? It's a big deal. Why? Because if someone important walked into the room, you would put your phone down and look at them eye to eye. Your boss walked into the room. The president of the United States walked into the room. A congressman, a senator, someone, the, the mayor, the governor, somebody walked in that was important. You would stop multitasking. And so why? Because you respect them. And what I have found, sometimes we lose the respect because of familiarity. Here's something else. Listen, women, when you talk positively about your husband to your friends, that's honoring and respecting your husband. When you speak honorably about him and to him around your kids. So that means you're never derogatory towards your kids. Yeah, but they're older. No, no, they're still your kids. You need a friend? Go get a friend. Go to small group. Do something, but make sure you're counseling up and not just vomiting on. Because when we respect our husbands, we always counsel up. We don't vomit and tell all of our kids all the problems that our husband is causing in our life. Here's another way to respect your husband. Pray for him. I promise you this, you want to have grace for someone, begin to pray for them. Why? Because your prayers will impact their life, and you'll see that God is in control. And what I am learning is the quicker I can pray for Phyllis, the faster she changes. Because it ain't had nothing to do with me. It's like, God, I, I, I give her, t and, and, and more often than not, I'm pointing the finger at her, and I got three other fingers pointing back at me. Oh, yeah. And then if you go to the root of it, she's acting that way because I was a jerk. Because I said something or did something. And so I just find God help me be a better husband. Help me be a better man. And then as we do that, I'm going to love my wife better. Women, be better women. Ask God to fill your heart with unconditional love and respect. And I promise we will see our marriages begin to be what God wants them to be. Here's the second thing we've got to do. I'm going to focus on the good and not the bad. Now, last week I talked about praising them often. And so that's the words of our mouth, but really today is I'm going to focus on the good and not the bad. So what we're dealing with is our thought life. Everybody say thought life. Look, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. He didn't say think about all their flaws, think about all the mistakes. No, no, he said think about the good things. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's pure. I'm going to think about these things because he understands the principle and is trying to teach us that your thoughts direct your life. So if you have positive thoughts about your marriage, you're going to have a positive marriage. If you have negative thoughts running through your mind all day about your marriage, I mean, you're going to have a negative marriage. 
there's no way to bypass the process of our thoughts because your thoughts determine your actions and your behavior. I mean, we know this intuitively, but yet somehow we allow the enemy to cause us to stay focused on the negative and not the good. And then what happens is it begins to ruin our whole disposition every time we interact with that person. I mean, we see it happen all the time. Now, Phyllis and I, we are complete opposites. It is amazing to me. Like every spectrum of every test we have ever taken, I'm way over here and she's way over here. We are like fire and ice, man. It's just when we hit, it's a, it's a beautiful mess. Like, and, and it's amazing because we catch each other's backs all the time. If we will learn to embrace the things that make us different, it's absolutely amazing because together we make a whole person. And all the blind spots are covered. But one of the things, if i got to be honest, and I asked her for permission to ask to tell her about this, I know somebody came up last week and said, Phyllis, I just want you to know we love you. <laughs> I told a few, because this is our marriage, right? So I'm not going to tell her what bothers her, y'all about me to her. But, but look, I'm on time. I'm just going to say it, like, I just, there's something intuitive, like, I got a clock, I could walk down the road, I tell you it's like 17 minutes past one, I just, there's something inside of me, and so I know when to leave, I know how bad traffic is going to be, I'm looking at ways, like, I'm just, I'm just intuitively and disciplined in a way that I'm going to be on time, can I get an amen from all my on-time people? And then the ones that are not on time say, there's grace. It's grace. It's grace, right? We love you. We love you. We love you. We'll shame you when you're late, but we love you. We love you. And so it kind of drives me nuts a little bit, and it's something that we're working on, and, and then I'll try to say, hey, you know, I, I don't even know why I was, it's not even my little straight, but hey, we're going we're gonna to be late. We've got to leave in like 10 minutes. And then she starts telling me all the reasons why she's late. I'm like, we're still going to be late. I'm just telling you, but Okay. So in the mornings last year, we really started doing these family devotionals. I told you about it, you know, and, and they're awesome and it's great. So we get up at 5.30 together. Used to, I would get up a little bit earlier, leave the house, and then she would take care of the kids. But I said, look, I'm not going to leave early uh, anymore if you'll commit to get up with me and together we'll do these family devos. And so we get up and 5.30 alarm goes off and I tend to roll out of bed a little bit easier than her. You know, she's kind of a night owl, and, you know, so she's, she's not really a morning person. I'm a little bit better in the mornings. And so, I mean, in the morning, we get up, alarm goes off. Now, we both get up at the same time, somebody. Come on. Like, and, and so we're, we're getting up, and we have devos at 6, uh, 15 a.m. Everybody knows that. And so they, we get everybody up, and it's, all right, you got 45 minutes to get dressed and eat and meet us for devo. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, Phyllis will come in, and it's like the devotions are almost done. Like, I'm the only one in the living room. Like, my kids aren't there. Phyllis isn't there. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to have devos all by myself. God is so good. And, and what I've learned is this. Like, it takes a little bit of work to look that beautiful. Come on, somebody. I mean, like, like she, and then getting all the kids up, you know, and, and she just, I mean, she's fine. So I'm like, hey, I got grace for that and getting the kids and dressed. And whereas a man, we just look, I'm going to take care of myself. Kids, get your clothes on. I hope they match. <laughs> they ran left and right shoes. You're like, I don't care. He's 12. <laughs> like, at some point, she's like, oh, honey, let me tie and all this and I'm like, you're late, you're late, you're late, you're late, late. And what I found was this, if I let it bother me, she's not always late. This is a little bit over-dramatized. 
Because my, my, my greatest thing is this. If I let it, by the end of it, we're praying, God, I pray that you just help her be on time. God, it's unacceptable. And you're, you're just mad and you're having devos, but it's like you're the devil having a devotional. Like you're just, like what's wrong with dad? It's okay, son, he'll get over it. Like, like at the end of the day, the whole thought process has messed up something that's intended to be beautiful. And the truth is this, I, I'm just grateful that I have a wife that loves Jesus. I'm grateful that I have a wife, yes, that committed to doing devotionals early in the morning when she doesn't like to get up early in the morning. I'm just thankful I got a wife. All my single people said, amen, pastor. You just, I, I, wish I had a wife. We, I had a husband. And, and so what we do is we let this thing fester and our thought life begins to derail our interaction with our spouse. And now we've got conflict and it's all because we were thinking about the wrong things. And look, I mean, you could put it under any situation or circumstance. Maybe your spouse leaves the shoes or they're at the front door. Maybe they throw their clothes on the floor. We heard Stephanie and Steve talking about it last week in the, in the whole relationship deal. And, you know, maybe your spouse always walks off and they leave all the lights on in the house. You're like, okay, great. We get to illuminate Rosenberg. <laughs> it's awesome. And we'll pay the, pay the bill. And you're like, and you, you pay the electric bill and you'll turn the lights off. And they pay the electric bill and they still turn the lights on. Like, but it'll drive you nuts. And you're like, well, you just don't love. If you love me, you would turn those lights off. It ain't got nothing to do with love. You know, probably God is testing you and letting something be worked out inside of you. And the moment you let go, they'll say, oh, baby, I've learned. I'm going to turn the light off. Why? Because God wants to work inside of us. But we have to focus on the right thing. And make it a choice. The last thing is this. I'm going to talk and not walk. So i got to remain 100% committed to my marriage. 100% committed to never walk out on my marriage. Uh, I just want to speak softly to some, some of you. You know, 50% people experience divorce. And I want you to know this. If you have experienced a divorce, God loves you. Your sins are forgiven. Doesn't matter whose fault it was. I believe in the God of second chances. I believe if your desire is to get married, God's got someone right for you that you can start a new life with and that you can experience his grace and his freedom and his love with in your life. you got to know that. Maybe you're in your second marriage. Maybe you're in your third marriage. Nobody here is judging you. But what I do know is that wherever you find yourself from this moment on, you have to say, it stops here. For the rest of my life, I am fully committed 100% to you. Neither one of us can walk. We've got to always talk it out. And don't walk out of the room mad. And so Phyllis and I have come to an understanding. I, I was clowning a little bit last week in the first service how she'd kind of walk behind me and we just kind of chase each other. She gonna say a last word. She walks off. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. I will get, you know, and it's just so, what we've learned is, look, hold up, wait, just, just pause and, and we're going to come back to this, but let us get our bearings. Let's calm down in such a way that we're not mad and spewing venom on each other. We've got to be committed. Look, we're going to work this thing out. In our life, we have to work through the issues. We're going to disagree, but we're not going to allow anger and frustration to permeate our thoughts and our spirit and our soul as we go to bed, which is what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says. In your anger, do not sin. 
Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I find it very interesting in this verse when he talks about foothold, really that translation is guest room. So he's saying don't give the devil a guest room in your life. I mean, Phyllis and I, we love to entertain people. we got friends that we've had for years. How many love Pastor Kenny Ortiz? He came in last month or two months ago, and, man, he rocked it out, just did an amazing job. Kenny's been a, one of my best friends for probably a decade. And Kenny is still single, and he comes in, and he crashes on my couch. I'm like, Kenny, bro, I want you to come. You know, I'll put you in a hotel He's like, bro, why would I stay in a hotel? I want to crash at your house. I want to play with your kids. Him and I, we used to have theological conversations to like 2 o'clock in the morning. And we'd be talking about God. And I mean, you know, we're just going back and forth. And we just love to spend time together. Why? Because he's my friend. Now, can you imagine telling the devil, hey, devil, what's up? I know you're the enemy, but why don't you just come chill out in my house? Now, I got my kids there who I, I love with all my heart. Like, I'm a spouse, and you know she's the love of my life. But devil, look, just come to I got a guest room. Why don't you just hang out in the guest room? But make me a promise, just, just one promise. Don't mess with my kids, and don't do anything bad. Don't do anything evil. You know, can you just not do any evil stuff right now? Just chill. I mean, how many would invite the devil into your home? But yet, when we fall into the trap of anger... And we're mad at each other, and we're, we're angry. And, and then this is what happens, too. And, and Phyllis and I have learned this. I, we, we don't even try to leave the house because sometimes when you leave, then the enemy is just, I mean, now you, you just, you're just fuming. And all of a sudden, opportunities happen, things that you just, you're like, oh, this ain't so good. I better go back to the one that I love, and we got to work this thing out. And, and so what we've done is this. We may not be able to resolve why we're mad, but we come to a consensus and we come to a mutual agreement that says, look, I'm still a little bit frustrated, but I love you, and you love me, and look, we're not going to resolve it. And, and I'll, I'll be as transparent as to tell you this. There are sometimes Phyllis and I have to take that argument to the counselor. Come on, somebody. Come on. Yeah, yeah, it's like, hold up. We, we're going to talk to Tim. That's the name of my counselor, our counselor we go to every week. Like, we're we going to have to take this one to him because we need an outside perspective. Why? Because we've been married for so long. And, and so I, I want to normalize counseling. I just think, you know, you've got to have people, and, and, and you could be lying to yourself, and, and maybe you don't go to counseling. Look, find you a small group. Find someone. There's been times we've called Jeremy and Jennifer Foster, some of our best friends in the whole world. There's, there was one time, even last year, we were so, we are like, there is no resolution. And I don't, I don't agree with you. She doesn't agree with me. Let's call Jeremy. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know, Jeremy and Jennifer got a solution. And do you know what? We got friends that are so good. We went to go. They stopped everything. As busy as he was, I said, you guys are so important. Let's go talk about it. What's my point? I mean, there are moments that you're going to have this disagreement. You just got to decide we are not walking away from this relationship. We're going to talk it out. We're going to work it out. Why? Because we are committed for the rest of our lives. Look. We're all going to fight. We're all going to have disagreements. But you've got to make sure that you act and don't react. You've got to make sure that you focus on the good and not the bad. You've got to make sure that you talk and you don't walk. And you know, this morning, as we are closing it out, I really, I really believe there are some of you in this place, and I'm not going to make a blanket statement and 
about everybody, but I, I think there are some of you in this place, you're in an unhealthy spot. Uh, your relationship has gotten a little bit toxic. And what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit to work inside of your life. You've got to allow forgiveness and grace and mercy to permeate your heart. You know, sometimes you can feel like I'm justified, I'm vindicated, like, like there's a reason, like they, you know, they owe me or they've wronged me. And, and really, you know, like I was telling you last week, we don't have rights. We've been crucified with Christ. The Bible says we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. So that means that God, whatever rights I think I have, the truth is I don't. And husbands, listen, the only right you have is to love your wife unconditionally. Women, the only right you have is to love and honor and respect your husband unconditionally. It's like we have got to make sure that we're focused on the right thing that we are called to do and let God take care of the rest. And some of you, look, there's been some missed expectations it's kind of derailing your relationship and didn't think it would, but it has. Maybe you've been selfish and self-centered. Maybe there's not been great communication. And I want you to know this. Phyllis and I have dealt with every single one of these. And even over the last couple of years, our commitment to each other has been this. We want to be the healthiest we have ever been. There is no way that we can lead a healthy church if Phyllis and I are not healthy. There's no way we could talk to you about making sure that God's first and foremost. Look, we've experienced all of these. Don't, don't think there's not been moments where it's like, man, I don't even know if I want to be married to you. I just, we're not seeing eye to eye. But you have to understand this, and I've told you this before. It's because the enemy is trying to steal your legacy. It's way more than just you and your spouse. It's about your kids. It's about grandkids and great-grandkids. It's about every person that watches your life. And so, so we begin to think well, it's just about you and me. But the truth is it's not. It's way more sinister and dark and deeper than we even realize. But I do know this, that God is the one that comes to give hope. He gives life. He gives freedom. He gives forgiveness. And this morning, I really want to pray over you because I really believe that his grace is being released over your life. And some of you... And this is what I love, too, is your marriage is amazing. And you really have an example marriage. And, man, all the things I'm talking about, you're saying amen because you've implemented them. You could probably write a book about it. And the truth is God has blessed you in your marriage. What my ask to you is, is in the next three weeks, can you help us launch some marriage small groups? I know Stephanie, and we're going to get up, we're going to talk about, we're not a church with small groups, but a church of small groups. And what I need you to do is I need you to step out of your comfort zone and to say, look, I'm going to do a marriage small group. And, and we're going to focus on the principles and really help us as a church build a culture of healthy, godly, life-giving marriages. So you've got a part to play, too, even if it's not responding now. Help us. Change the culture of what the world is trying to put on the church. Father, I pray right now your grace, your peace, your strength over each and every relationship. God, I'm asking you to move in their hearts and where the enemy has tried to, to steal, kill, and to destroy. God, we speak life and life more abundantly. Lord, I speak grace and grace more abundantly. Forgiveness and forgiveness more abundantly. God, I thank you that you are restoring what maybe even has been broken or destroyed.
And God, I pray that what we would see after you're done is something greater than they've ever experienced in their entire life. You know, I'm thinking about an old classic. You know, that illustration, God, of how you can have an old car in a junkyard, wheels falling off, rust eating up all the interior. It's all damaged and mirrors broken off and windows busted. But then a man can walk into the junkyard and say, wow, that, that, that junker, that, that, that piece of trash sitting right there, that classic, there is potential in that classic. And the thing that I see is that man just taking the car and restoring the wheels Restoring the interior, putting a brand new paint job, getting rid of all the rust, putting an engine in there that's better, faster, stronger. Then what we see is that classic is way more valuable than the original. And God, that's what I see a picture of this morning, that those that feel like they're in the junkyard, their life has fallen apart, God, you want to make them a classic. That their past doesn't have to be a prison, but it's going to be a platform to see others come to know you and to see that there is a God in heaven that restores the broken. Father, we ask for these things to be done in Jesus' name. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Some of you are here right now and you recognize that you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you recognize, look, I've done a lot of bad things in my life and You recognize I'm distant from him. I I know about him, but I don't really know him. I want you to hear this and hear it clearly. You can never fix yourself. It's impossible. The Bible says that sin separates us from God, and that's the beauty of the gospel, right? The gospel's good news because Jesus came without sin. He lived a perfect life. Why? Because he wanted to have a restoration, a rescue plan to restore man back to God. So Jesus died on a cross. He rose again so that you sitting here this morning right now could have a relationship with him. And I believe there are some of you here this morning, that's you. You want to experience his salvation. I I want to invite you in this moment to respond to his presence. To invite him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. And, you know, if that's you, all the heads are bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if you would just raise your hand as an act of surrender and say, God, that's me. I want to experience your salvation. Just raise your hand as an act of surrender. God, that's me. That's me, Pastor. That's me. His presence is in this place. God, I just thank you. Let me put your hands down. Church, would you tell them how proud you are? Father, we worship you. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sins. Make me brand new. Jesus, I believe in you, that you died and you rose again. And I'm asking you to be my Savior. Save me now. I surrender my life to you. I give you everything, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all that I am, I surrender to you right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, worship God this morning.